You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road in Hillsboro, North Carolina. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. There is no one that deserves praise like Christ, right? I mean, He is the one who provided our salvation. So when we sing a song like that, it just reminds us that our focus needs to be on Him. He's provided our salvation. He's provided security. He's provided peace. All those things for us. And so when we talk about praising Him for being who He is, it just should be a natural outflow of who we are because we are in Christ. There are um, some things we're going to talk about this morning and out of Mark chapter 4. So we're going back to, to Mark 4 and continuing in our series from Mark. This morning we're going to talk about gardening. And, and it, you go, well, it's about that time of year unless you were out in it yesterday, right? Yesterday was not one of those good gardening days at all. But, but we're looking forward to it. I mean, you look out. I tell you what, just take, take a moment now. Just go ahead and look outside. Some of you have a hard time looking outside because of this is church. I'm not allowed to look out that window. I've been told for years, don't look out the window. Man, there's some great stuff happening out there. Now, I wouldn't encourage you to do it the rest of the time we're together. Um, but outside, there's some great things happening. There's some, some things that are growing and at least they look like they're growing, don't they? And there's some greenery for, for a change and, and some things budding and some flowers. and, and It's going to be good. Um, when, when we lived in Florida, well, I was used to going through Florida back when I was in college. I lived, um, I lived in a, a different part of the, or a different state while I was in college, and I would have to go home to Florida and there was a, a route that I took that cut through orange groves. Now, if you take that same route today, you'll find very few orange groves there. You'll see lots of development, lots of houses. I mean, just kind of swamped with housing. But when I went to college and cut through there, it was nothing but orange groves. And so there were times of the year that you would cut through there, and the smell of the orange blossoms were great for about half an hour. But after three hours of orange blossoms, you just kind of went, I'm going to throw up. I mean, it's just so sweet. Um, but, it, but it signified something. It signified that something was happening, and it was different than it had been the last trip that I made. And then a couple months later, you'd come through, and you would start to see some things. You'd see little bits of orange in the middle of all this really deep green. And it was the oranges coming into season. And you would watch, and, and even when you lived there, you started to get news stories along the way of what weather was going to do to the orange crop. They said, well, this is coming through, so we need to make some adjustments. And what you would see is you would see those that, those that had those farms or those crops, you would see them do certain things at certain times to protect their crop. Because the crop was so important, it was their livelihood. It wasn't a hobby that they did on the weekends, but it was something that they counted on for their income. And so they would make adjustments. There was an intentional plan on the part of the farmer to make sure that the crop produced. That's what they did. 
And so if it was going to freeze, and, and I thought this was really strange, but if it was going to get really, really cold, they would run their sprinklers and allow the, uh, allow the water to collect on the fruit itself and, and cover it in ice to protect it from going any lower than what the ice was. I thought, well, that's strange. You're freezing it to be, but it actually was good for it. Because a little bit of cold on an orange crop brought a sweetness to the crop as well. And so it was actually a better crop if there was just a little bit of tension, a little bit of push on that crop, and it would produce even better. I realized some of this when we first moved to Central Florida because we had an orange tree in the yard. I didn't take care of it. It was a rental house. It was just kind of overgrown orange tree, but it still produced some. And so there were mornings where I would go out and cut across the, the grass or dirt, kind of depending on what part of the year it was, and cut across there and go over there and pick some oranges and come back in and squeeze some fresh juice for Deb. I have yet to do it. I haven't done it again since then. We don't have an orange tree, so I'm off the hook that way. Um, but, but it was just one of those things. You just enjoyed the crop and enjoyed what was there. In Mark chapter 4, the question comes up in Mark 4, is it realistic to expect the followers of Jesus to be fruitful? Is it realistic to expect the followers of Jesus to be fruitful? And at the same time, is it, is it reasonable to expect churches to be fruitful? So is it, is it realistic to expect followers to be fruitful? Or is it... Um, is it okay to expect churches to be fruitful? So I want us to pray before we get into this, and we'll read starting at Mark 4, verse 1. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of your word, how you teach us, how you grow us, how you stretch us. And God, I pray this morning as we listen, as we're attentive to your voice above any other voice, as we're more attentive to you than we are any elbow that may come our way in the middle of this. Father, may we hear you and respond to you in a way that brings you glory. God, in a way that says we are a follower of Christ. And so God, I pray that you'll use this time for your benefit, for your glory and your honor. And God, we pray these things in the strong and mighty name, that one who's worthy of our praise and our adoration and our attention, that name that's Jesus. It's that name that we pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Would you stand as we read this together? Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And he... This is Jesus began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got down into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. So you got the picture. Jesus is in a boat on the edge of the sea. Everybody's gathered around. They want to hear what he has to say. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. So the first thing he does, is he's sitting there, and they're looking at him. He says, listen to this. So it's for everybody's ears to perk up. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, 
where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And, be, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. So that's the picture. So Jesus gives this, this picture to those that are around him of the seed that's being tossed in different places. And as he was saying, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, listen very carefully, check it out, see if you understand. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, among, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? So that's the, the center section, those few verses. And then in verse 14, we begin to get the explanation. The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away or wither or stumble. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Interesting story, interesting picture that Jesus gives here, and an interesting explanation because Jesus divides, divides his followers. He's saying, look around you, there are four divisions and four responses to the word of God. And the question is, how do we respond? So would you be seated? So what we're going to do, do is we're going to start in the middle. Kind of like licking the cream out of the middle of an Oreo cookie. That's where we're going to start. And those of you that are, if, uh, like, I'm working on the sugar thing. And so, um, so I can talk about that. I just can't have it. Um, so this is, this is what it says in starting in verse 11. It says, and he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that what is written in its Isaiah, while seeing they may see and not perceive, while hearing they may, not, they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. The idea behind that is when you are faced with the word of God, 
Seeing and or understanding is a major key. And so what he's saying is, if you qualify this, is what will you do with God's word? And to the ones who is listening, as he's explaining this, there's a mystery that is shared with them. Now, it's the mystery of the kingdom of God, and we could go all kinds of different places with that. The, the question always comes down to relationship. What is your relationship to Jesus Christ? So we talk about the mystery. We talk about the idea of the, this whole thing that Jesus died for us, was buried, put in a tomb, rose again, and somehow that applies to me and you. Well, that's a hard thing to understand. Say, how can somebody who died 2,000 years ago, how can what they did apply to us? Because we're far removed from it. And it's even a little bit weird when you talk about somebody else dying on your behalf, and because they died, you are forgiven. You're no longer under the penalty of sin. So you give your life to Christ. And, and that may, I, I don't know exactly how to explain that. I know it happens, and I know I accept it by faith, and that's one of the qualifications of even having a relationship with Christ is expressing faith or trusting Him. But I don't know exactly how all that applies and, and how to figure that out and wrestle with it. All I know is I, there are some things in God's Word that I have to accept by faith. So as I look at this, he says, the mystery has been made known to you. It's essentially the mystery of the relationship that happens when we turn over our life to God. If understood, then repentance and forgiveness follow. Look what it says. They may, be, they may turn or return and be forgiven. That's the response that comes out of a life that hears and understands or perceives and gets it. So when we get it, we respond to God in, a, in an obedient way. We return or turn or repent, and we're forgiven because of that. See, the danger in hearing or seeing and not understanding is that we respond out of a hard heart. If you look over in the parallel passage in Matthew 13, there's a phrase in Matthew 13, 15, it says, for the heart of this people has become dull. That's the context of these words. The people had become dull. So when Jesus starts to share truth, they kind of say, I don't get it. It doesn't apply to me. There's all kinds of ways that we can look at God's word and say, not me, maybe them. You ever sat in church and listened to a message and said, man, this would be really good for the person sitting next to me. Some of you are going, uh, maybe. We talk about marriage. You get the elbows going, right? Or talk about other things in church and, and you start to feel that this message was meant specifically for them. When what Jesus is talking about here is it's, it's specifically for everybody to understand and respond to God in a way that includes repentance or turning and forgiveness, that idea of applying grace to our lives. And so Jesus in this middle section says, hey, understand and apply it. Listen to this and apply it to your life. So we go back to the very beginning, the, this whole gardening basic thing. The first part of this is in verse 4. 
says, some fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. It's the seed that fell on the rock. Now notice in this very beginning part, there's no qualification for how good the seed was. It's just the seed was tossed. From Jesus' perspective, as we get to the second portion of this, where it says, and the, the seed was the word, is it was good seed. We don't have to question that. It was good seed that went out, and some of it fell on the road. Now, you, if you and I planted a garden, we would not throw seed on the road and expect something to happen. But it gets thrown on the road, and the birds, before rooting could even occur, even in the cracks, the seeds were, seeds were gone. They were taken away. Second place in verses 5 and 6 is between the rocks or in the hard places. 5 and 6 fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, but it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. So it sprang up very quickly, but it could only go so far. And then when it was challenged or, or pushed, then it withered away. It dried up because the sun came up and put pressure on it. The third place is among the thorns. It says, and other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it out, and it yielded no crop. Uh, it's interesting that whole idea of thorns is, and I, I hate weeding flower beds. I don't like weeding anything. That's the most, for me, and I, I'm not a farmer, I'm not a gardener, but being out weeding something is one of the most miserable places to be. It seems like it's the hottest place on earth when you're weeding a flower bed. And it always seems like you can never get to the place where you get all of it out. It, you know, I'll, I'll go through, and where we lived in Kentucky, I would go through the flower bed in the front and just kind of work it. And I would, I would weed, and I think I'd get it all, and I'd get so far down, and I would look back. And, you know, it's always, you look back and you say, how good did I do? You know, this is looking good. And I look back and I went, oh, I missed that one. Missed that one. Oh, man. So you, so you go back and you start to hit those places. And so some of it, it was among the thorns or the weeds. Weeds of a way of choking out the intentional plant. And so in this scenario, the plant remained but never grew or produced fruit. The last place is in verse 8. Some seed fell among good soil. It was conducive. It was an environment conducive for growth. It had the right soil, water had the sun, and fruit was produced, some 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so when we get through this, you say, well, those are the explanations of the four locations and what happens when seed falls on those places, but how does it apply to me? And the disciples had that. They had that down. They said, how, we don't understand. Explain this to us. The desire to foster repentance and forgiveness, not to hide it when God's word is understood, is part of what God is doing in this, in sharing this. And there's an appropriate response to God's word when we hear it. It's essentially obedience and surrender. And actually saying, God, not your will, but, or not my will, but your will. It's the same thing that Jesus prayed in the garden that we, we talked about in the last couple weeks. It's acquiescing to God's will. So Jesus explains, starting at verse 14. It says, the sower sows the word, God's word. And then it talks about the ones 
the seed or the, the word that falls on the road where the word is sown, when it's heard, immediately Satan comes and takes it away. The word which has been sown in them. The word is snatched from a place where, where it just never takes root. We see that all the time. Some preaching is done or some sharing. And somebody just says, no, I don't believe that. Or it doesn't apply to me. There's a lot, a lot of ways, a lot of things that happen when the Word of God is expressed to somebody and we see this scenario take place where the, the Word is snatched away. It's the work of Satan in somebody's life. And it could be dismissed as untruth. It could be dismissed as something dangerous. And we run across that in our world right now. The Word of God is dangerous. Believers are dangerous. That whole idea of following Christ, it's a dangerous thing, right? Have you seen that or heard that? Maybe it doesn't apply or it's nonsense. But one of the most dangerous pieces of this is when Satan snatches away and somebody's response is, it'll just wait till later. I'll just put it off. I think I can do that later in life. Problem is, when you start putting it off, you start to develop a hard heart, a rocky heart, a road kind of heart, and so the Word of God never takes root. Satan's work is alive and well in somebody that pushes off God's Word. Second thing in this, the second idea in this is verse, verses 16 and 17. It's the idea of being swayed. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they heard the Word, immediately received it with joy. And so they got all excited about hearing God's word and doing something. But look what happens in verse 17. They have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction and persecution arises because, because of the word, immediately they fall away. It's a rocky spot. And it starts out with a joy and an understanding, but it never really takes deep root. It's a shallow kind of thing. It has a temporary effect on somebody's life. And you've seen that, where somebody makes a commitment and say, I'm all in, I'm all joyous about this, I'm, I'm committed. And within 24 hours, they've walked away from their, their commitment. We've, always, we've done stuff like that. I committed to a diet, but the Krispy Kreme sign was on. And I figured I could start the diet tomorrow. It's simple. We hear God's word. We push it off. We get swayed by simple things or some kind of pressure. Something hard is prompted by the word of God. And so the word of God is there and you start to face it. And the word of God calls for obedience. And you say, well, I don't want to obey that. It's too hard. In this passage, it says that affliction and persecution arises because of the word. In that day, if you gave your life to Christ, you could expect persecution. You could expect something to happen to you. It may be a family relationship that would be strained. It may be a push off by society. It would take place. And we don't have that kind of pressure, that deep pressure that they may have faced at that point. But there are people around us that have that pressure on them. There are people in the world that have committed their life to Christ and the pressure they face is intense. 
It may cost them their life. It may cost them their family. It may cost them everything in a particular society. Uh, that's the whole idea of this advanced conference that's coming next weekend the, on the 14th on Saturday from 9 to 4. You're invited, by the way. There's, there's only going to be, I don't know, 1,000 people here. You, you'll fit. No, there's, there's 500 registered. But you need to be here. Because you'll hear stories of people that have gone through affliction and persecution and how they trust Christ and hold on to Christ with all that they are, and it's the only thing they have to hold on to. Jesus is very clear about the cushiness of following him. Here's what it says. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Sounds soft, doesn't it? Sounds pretty easy, right? No. Christianity is not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. And so if you run across somebody that says, following Christ, it's the easiest thing I've ever had to do. It's because you're not living it out in a way that challenges the darkness around you. Christianity is hard. Because it means making decisions that the world does not understand or want to follow. Christianity is not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. And so we should quit thinking that it should be. Our life, if we are a true follower of Christ, is going to get more difficult in the days to come than it will become easier. It's going to get harder. And it's going to it's going to create a gap between those that are truly following Christ and those that are playing games with the name of Christ. The third piece of this is in verse 18 and 19, and it's the idea of being distracted. But the worries of the world, or in verse 18, and others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. They heard, they understood, it took root, but something happens. The weeds start to crop up around it and start to overtake it. It begins to spring up, but, but it really doesn't produce anything of substance. The first part of this is the worries of the world. Concern about temporary things. It's that idea, and you see it on the screen. Look, squirrel. Have you had a conversation with somebody, and as, as you're talking to them, they get so distracted, they start looking out the window. It's that idea, the worries of the world, some, some going on outside. It's interesting to be up here on Sunday morning. Let me tell you how this works, and I, I can do squirrel all day long. There's somebody cutting down the sidewalk right there. I don't know who it was. I think it was Pastor Mark. But then somebody else will get up and go to the restroom in the middle of the message or during the invitation. Something like that happens. I've even thought about leaving here and just saying, just, just wait a minute. I can't wait. And just walking out in the middle of the message and just saying, just hold on. I'll be back in a moment. You guys just hang out for a minute. I've thought about doing that. It's easy to get distracted. And in this particular passage, we're talking about worries of the world becomes one of those distractions where we focus on the temporary things. 
Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things, all the other stuff will be added to you or provided for you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is not a statement of apathy. I don't care what happens around me. It's not a statement of ignorance where I just don't know what's going on around me. It's a statement of priority and trust. I will say, God is first and I trust Him to take care of me. Therefore, I will not be distracted by all the things that I could worry about. I'm going to focus on what God is doing and allow God to take care of the details around me. I have a hard time doing that because I like being in control. I, when I cut my grass, I like being in control because there's straight lines. It's, that's me. I like having that. I like knowing what's happening next or, or one step beyond next. The only place that that doesn't work is when Deb and I play Connect or Connects or whatever that is. You know, the, the grid with little circles. You're supposed to put stuff in a row. I can never beat her. I can't stay ahead of her. But everything else, I like being one step ahead. And so God reminds us that we shouldn't be distracted by the worries of this world. The other thing we shouldn't be distracted by is the deceitfulness of riches or chasing money. Now, I read this stat. Even among churches, the aggregate donation is $1,548 per year, according to Barna. So the average church member gives that much. Now, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know where that stat came from. But if we went around the room and said, this is my income... Would $1,548 suffice for obedience to God? Just a question. And maybe we should ask, are we being distracted by the pursuit of financial gain? Now, this church is generous. Uh, it is. It supports missions in multiple ways. I mean, people go. This year, People were going to Canada, planning a trip to Guatemala. People just got back from West Virginia, working on a mission trip there. And then there are places we just send money, like the Browns, they're going to Kenya. And, the, and that's, that's not cheap. You know, I'm guessing they don't have the money in, the, in their wallet this morning to cover their expenses for going to Kenya. So they're going. You know, and there are others that, that are going and serving. Bob Schreiner. You got, you got Magnolia House with the Cottrells. There are a lot of ways where we invest in things and our money is being used to reach out and do different ministries in student ministry and children's ministry. All those things play into that. And when we get distracted or by the deceitfulness of riches, we have to, we have to understand it could affect the way that we give and are able to do ministry. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to come down on you because we are a generous church and we do a lot of things. There are a lot of things that we could do even more if everybody was obedient and it's a heart thing. It's not, and I, I'm not trying to put a guilt thing on you this morning. It's a matter of looking at the word and, and responding to the word of God. So we place, placing our security instead of what's physical and temporary 
to what's spiritual and eternal. Allowing God to be first. Third part of this is the desire for other things. The deceitfulness of riches and then the desire for other things enter and choke out the word. It's replacing what God says is best by some cheaper imitation. Something that's a substitute for what is real and authentic. I'm convinced that Coke and Pepsi will always outsell the store brand. Why? It's the first one. It's the authentic one, right? Or RC and Moon Pie. They go together. You can't substitute that stuff. It's just the way it is. We can't substitute following God with something less than that. We can't substitute a relationship with God with a, a relationship with another person or a job or some other thing where we think we find security and don't. Our desire needs to be for God, not for other things. And if our tendency is to be distracted or choked, we have to ask the question, why is that so? You and I are not immune to this issue. We're not. You can take a look at some of the big names in Scripture and say they weren't immune to being distracted. David was distracted by who? Bathsheba. Hot woman on a roof, right? He was distracted. He should have been in battle anyways, but he was distracted. And Samson? Delilah, Solomon, a multitude. I still haven't figured that one out. Still trying to put wisdom in a whole bunch, in like hundreds. It doesn't go together for me. So we have to not be distracted. The fourth part of this passage says, And those, the ones on whom seed was sown on good soil, and they hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. To hear and accept the word and to bear fruit. Here's what it says in John 15, 5. And this is from the message. It sounds a little different, but you get the idea. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. New Living Translation says it this way, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The idea is that bearing fruit is normal when we are connected to Christ. It is normal. Now we have a... a, strange definition of what normal Christianity looks like in our Western culture. As we look at it, we say, normal Christianity is I get up on Sunday morning, even committed Christianity in this culture is I get up on Sunday morning and I make it to Sunday school. That starts at 9.15. And so I'm there by 9.30. That's good. And then worship starts at 10.30 and I'll show up for that and I'll put something in the offering plate of some some portion, and I'll listen to the message, and when I leave here, I might even leave a big tip at the restaurant that I go to on Sunday. We can put that in the normal category, what is considered normal. And then maybe it's go to a connect group on Sunday night. It may even be that I'm going to show up midweek to get that boost midweek in a discipleship class, or to help serve in Awana, or 
or somewhere else on Wednesday night in student ministry. And we, we say, that's normal. And what I'm telling you is that is a pale version of what normal is according to Scripture. That is just a piece. That is just a little taste. It's like saying you can have one chip out of that bag, but you can't touch the rest of it. And you know one chip doesn't do it. I've never sat and watched a football game or a, a basketball game or a hockey game and stuff and said, I'm just going to eat one chip and I'll be good. Oh, it's like how big a bag can I find today? And that's where I'm sitting down and I'm going to chomp on this stuff. No, we don't want part of it, we want all of it. And, and when, we, when we say normal Christianity is not this little itty-bitty box that we put our lives in, it is something much greater. It means sacrifice, it means giving, it means maybe taking up that cross daily and following Him. In every decision, in every step, every piece of the walk of life, it's following Christ. John 15, 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And so here, two questions. How can we be people that bear much fruit? How can we be people that bear much fruit? There's three things. First, we have to see the reality of who we are. What does our life consist of? If I were to step back and define my life, if I came back and said, how is my life spent? Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Then I can kind of take a look at what the reality is. What is the reality for me? And how, do, how does that line up with God's Word or the truth of God's Word? Do we treat it flippantly or lazily? Or are we passionate about what God says and applying it to our lives? So face the reality. The second thing is to repent. Repentance has to be part of that because when we look at the reality, we realize we're not anywhere close to who Jesus is or what Jesus is about. We realize that we fall short. That there's something lacking in us, and all of us are in that category. There's something because you are breathing that God is not done with you on. Now that wasn't really good English, but you get the idea. You're still a work in progress, right? And so there's some part of God's truth that still needs to be applied, and some of it's going to hurt. Some of it's going to rub you raw. So repentance is in order to turn and go a different direction. So face the reality and repent, but then also to recommit. Connect with other believers to find that soil where you can grow in your relationship to God there's a greater chance that you will live out your Christianity in fruitfulness when you live in community with other believers. Listen to that. There's a greater chance you will live out your Christianity in fruitfulness when you live in community with other believers. It's essentially why we meet in small groups, gather for meals, and serve alongside one another. There is a growth potential when you go on a trip to West Virginia and you're hanging sheetrock next to somebody, then you sleep in the same room where the dust of the sheetrock is still present. Thanks, Isaac. There's something good about that for the body. It's not just because we're just trying to fill a calendar or stay active. 
We can fill calendars. But are we doing Christ? Are we being Christ to a world around us? Psalm 1, the psalmist puts it a a little different way. He says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating meditating on it day and night. So that's idea of spending time in the Word. But look what happens. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never, never wither, and they prosper in all they do. So how do we become somebody who is fruitful? Is we face the reality of who we are. We look in the mirror and take, take a long look in that mirror and compare it to God's truth. So check out the reality and then repent and recommit. How do we do it as a church? Is it, it, how do we become fruitful as a church? How can we make that the norm? And the first thing is we have to plan for it. We constantly evaluate what we do and why we do it. Now, that's a dangerous thing. When you start evaluating everything a church does, understand that the end result of evaluation may mean change. Right? Let me put it this way. You evaluate a baby, how? By your nose, right? You go, this baby needs to change or needs to be changed. And I, and I, I remember, Scott, you're doing it. It's fun, isn't it? Where you, where you go, and I think this baby needs to be changed. And you go, yep, sure does. I, I tried to send our son back to the, back to the nurse's station because I knew change needed to take place. And she told me where the diapers were, where all the stuff was. And she said, have at it. And it, you know, it was one of those things where change needed to happen because of an evaluation. And when we evaluate things around here, it's not change because we just want to do change. It's change because we understand that doing the change is more healthy for the church, is more healthy for the body so that we can be in a better place of providing the right soil, that plot of rich soil for a church to be in. It's not that it was bad, it just it meant that there was some maintenance that needed to be done. So when we look at change in the church, we, we can't get all messed up because we're moving some crops around and figuring out what would be the best soil. So we respond in a way and we say, God, whatever you want to happen, so that this can be a place of rich soil for people to grow in their relationship to Christ, whatever it means. And so we want this place to be a a plot of rich soil so that small groups happen, that authentic worship happens, that people flourish in their relationships with one another, but then also outside the walls of the church, that there's 30, 60, and 100-fold produce bearing fruit. It means that we will use gyms and fields more than just places to grow grass or hang out. Gyms and fields will be used to reach people and build relationships. 
And so it may be the gym back here. It may be the gym at North Campus. It may be the fields that are up there across the street or the field next to the building. It may be fields that aren't built that go on the back part of that property where there's nothing. You catch it? That may be a place we do some ministry. So it may mean we develop that so that we can have those relationships with those that are both inside the church and outside the church. Now, I'm excited because I, I got the list from um, Hillsborough Youth Athletic Association about all the teams, and I started going through the list because it, it was picture day information. And going through the list, uh, and I started looking, and I noticed all the coaches that we have on that list, not assistant coaches, just coaches in that league, and how many lives will be touched as coaches start investing in the lives of students and adults. So that's, that's a place to plug in. And then even the, the idea of this rich soil is providing venues for intersecting life and truth. Now, I want to tell you, Scott uses the North Campus, the, the student building up there right now for students on, on Wednesdays. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Just yell, throw something at me or something. It's, it's Wednesdays, it's Sunday morning, and Sunday nights. Not Sunday nights. Okay, take it off the list. Okay, so Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, that, that room is used. But what would it look like if we also used that room to seek to reach parents who have children in Master's Garden Preschool? What would that look like? What if we said we're going to offer a parenting class similar to Christ-centered parenting that Curry is going to start this coming Wednesday? What if we offered that up there and those that didn't feel comfortable walking into this kind of venue, church venue, they said, I'll go to where the preschool is. It doesn't look like a church or looks less like a church. And they would show up and we get to build a relationship with them. What if that room was used like that at other times than, than Wednesday or Sunday morning? So we, using our facilities to provide that rich soil, that place where people can grow in their relationship to God. So we're not only a plot of rich soil, but we need to be a hub of sending. The idea of sowing seed. We need to be that. Missionally pursuing the spread of the gospel. So we have to plan for it. If we're going to be a church that is fruitful, we have to plan for it. We have to promote it. Our expectation is to see God at work among us. And so we say, hey, have you seen God work lately? Let me just ask this question. The, those of you that went for West, to West Virginia, did you see God at work this week? Did you? Who went to West Virginia? Raise your hand. All right. Two words. How'd you see God? Oh, wait a second. Okay, I got a green light. How'd you see God at work? Love. All right, there you go. Bobby, how'd you see God at work? I know you don't want this microphone, but you're getting it anyways. I saw the people up there having a desire to... to witness and share their faith with our community. Okay. There you have it. Somebody else that went to West Virginia. Isaac, you got something? I just know where you're at. By the way, I stole his bulletin earlier and I gave it back. Um, I saw uh, just like a desire for God in like the work that we did there. Okay among those that were working and those that were part of the church? Okay, all right, good. Yeah, it's, 
it's being that, that group of people that is willing to go and show the love of God to, to those in our community and around us and even in other places. I mean, we start going and expecting to see God at work. So we promote it. The last thing is we pursue it with passion. And, and the way we apply that, we say, how does that look? If we're, going to, if we're going to pursue it, then what does that look like? Essentially, it means that I'm going to make this statement. I am available for God as a vessel to be used by Him. I'm available for God to be, as a vessel. How hard is that? statement's not hard. The application of it might be. I want to be available to be used by God as a vessel. So the question comes out of this is, is, is Ebenezer producing an abundance of fruit? Are we producing an abundance of fruit? Depends where you look. Because I think there are parts, parts of what we do where I can say, hey, look, Here's some fruit. Here's some really, really good fruit. The whole idea of coming out here as a group of people and working around camp, both campuses, that's good fruit. Going to West Virginia, that's good fruit. Going to Haiti, that's good fruit. Showing up next week, if you're not in this place, coming up and working with, um, working on Pinewood Derby. That's what it was called when I was a kid. Um, but working on little cars up at North Campus, right? That's happening next week in the gym. Right, DJ? Okay. And you can bring tools. But it's essentially coming alongside a, uh, a child, a, a kid, a student, and saying, I want to help you with this. That would be fruit. That would be doing something. And so there are lots of ways that you can plug into ministry and say, I want to be, I want to do something more. But I think there, there are gaps in what we do. That if we say, are we doing just enough to get by? I think there are places where it's just enough to get by. Or feel good. I'm going to go back to the Florida situation for just a minute. The farmers worked. And they had tractors and they had lots of help. And it was interesting to watch. There were some things that were out of their control, like weather. That wasn't something that they could fix. But they did everything in their power to preserve the ability to have a crop. There's one thing that I noticed. One thing is true. The crop never fought the farmer. Never fought the farmer. And so we have, a, we have the opportunity to respond in a way and allow God to work in us to bear much fruit if we're willing to say, God, I surrender my life. I want to be used by you as a vessel for you, for your glory. Have you responded to the truth of God's word? Maybe this is another way to put it. Have you responded well to the truth of God's word? Has it been complete trust or has there been a measure of resistance? I look at it and there's pieces of God's word I don't like. So I'm just going to ignore that. 
Or do I need to go back to God's word and say I'm obedient at every piece of that word? That's following. So today, if you've never trusted Christ, but you hear the goodness of God that he gave his son to go to a cross and shed his blood for us, and that the forgiveness that is offered through that, the peace that is offered through that, is available to you. If you've never accepted God's forgiveness, hear it well. Let it sink in and don't let it be temporary. But hear it and let it produce fruit. And so I'm going to ask you, if you've never done that, to come to the front this morning and say, I want to begin a relationship with God through Jesus. I want to accept the gift that God has given. Scripture says by by grace we're saved through faith. It is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. So that we can't boast about it. We can't say, I did this on my own. It was God that provided it. And so I want to ask you to give your life to Christ today. The second part of this, as we start looking at these categories, these, this explanation, is saying, Maybe my life's not in that very last category of producing fruit the way it ought to. Maybe it's more in the category of that seed has been sown, but it's been choked out. Whether it's, whether it's by some deception or deceitfulness of riches or something else, the worries of this world. But the word of God, as the truth has gone out, I've just not handled it well I've not applied it well and I've let, I've let other things choke out the fruitfulness in my life and for those of us that have a relationship with Christ we get to look in the mirror and ask that question and I want to say if you're in that spot you say I could I could weed out some this morning altar is a great place to do that just to come down and say God I want to clear these weeds out. I want to stop being unfruitful. I want to be in that place where it's good soil and I'm producing. I'm doing what reflects your character well. And so the, the altar will be open for those of you that feel that. And then lastly, the other part of that is to being a fruitful part of the family of God together as we do life in community as a church family. And so if you would like to be part of this church family, I want to invite you to come and just say, I want to be here. Kind of like Amanda and Vaughn did and, and Jack and Gina did last week, is to say, I want to become part of this church family and allow God to use me from here. And so let's pray. And then as God leads you this morning, you respond to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you challenge us. God, if, if life were about just cruising through and we were okay at every point, there'd be no need to read your word. There'd be no need to feel the conviction of sin. There'd be no need to respond. But Father, you want us to be in such a relationship with you and, and so close to you that you want every other thing that is not godly, every sin that's in our life to be cast off 
so there would be no nothing in between us and you. And so, Father, I pray for the one that has never received Christ as their Savior. Father, this morning I pray that, that they would come to the realization that they're being convicted by the Holy Spirit to come and turn over their life to you. Father, there are others in this room that, that feel like the Word of God has been choked out among thorns, and weeding is essential. Although it's uncomfortable, it's essential. And so, God, I pray that you would draw people to this altar that need to freshen up the garden of their life. And then, Father, for those that want to serve from this place, God, I pray you'll draw them to be part of this church family. God, we ask that you would work, not for the glory of this church or the glory of this corner, but for your glory and your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.